Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. The climate and the environment is one of the major features in our news and our politics. And one of the key elements in this area is the circular economy and the way we need to transform every element of our take-make-waste system. How do we manage resources? How do we make and use products? And what do we do with the materials afterwards? Joining us tonight to explore what it will take to transform our throwaway economy, uh, Gary Walpole, Director of the Circular Economy Innovation Community at Swansea University and Cardiff Met. Hello, Gary. Evening. Avion Williams, who's the CEO of the Circular Economy Wales. Hello, Avion. Good evening, Matthew. And Ella Smiley, co-founder of Benthig Cymru. Hello, Ella. Hello. So, the circular economy, it's one of the buzzwords of late in our politics. Avion, can you give us a quick rundown of what it, what it really means? Uh, you know, when you look at the circular economy, we have to look at what it's trying to replace, the, uh, the linear economy. So if you think of the linear economy as a conveyor belt in the supermarket with in at one end is going in all of the material from the ground, all of the material that, that we utilise to, uh, to, to, to stoke feed our, our economy. And at the other end is falling off the, off the edge. A circular economy and the best place to look for uh, a good description of this is Kate Raworth's Donut Economics. If we, if we exceed the planetary excess, and she uses the outside of the donut in that fun image, uh, then we're doomed uh, to extinction. But we have to balance, in reality, balance um, our economy where we have a social floor, where we have, been, where we have minimum, uh, minimum standards of healthcare, of community, of, 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 of an economy that works for all, not just people, but planets as well. So that social floor that we don't want to fall under, she circularized that as well. And that's the, the inner core of uh, the donut. So you put the two rings together and you end up with this donut shape, that sweet band of um, the area that we, we must stay in. All, all of the maps and graphs and work has been done on where the planet currently is in terms of uh, the donut, we, we exceed all over the place, both in falling below the social floor and exceeding the, uh, uh, the planetary excesses. But really, at the end of the day, the donut economy, the circular economy, is the single most important challenge because it's the golden bullet for fixing our broken economy because waste um, never existed in the natural environment. That, waste is a human construct, and if it was created... We can damn well uncreate it and we can come up with new systems um, to put something else in its place. Ella, is there anything else you'd like to add there about how we define the circular economy? Yeah, just kind of echo what Avion said there about it just being kind of this sense of trying uh, not to waste um, and trying to keep resources in circulation for as long as we possibly can, maximise resources that already was it exist within our communities and I think it's really interesting to think about sort of where we've where we've come to over the last hundred years you know there's been this huge kind of evolution within society in the way that we live and interact with each other um, and live within our communities and somehow this seems to have kind of accidentally led to a situation where everybody um, kind of feels the 
the need to own and consume as much as possible, almost as a way to survive. You know, perhaps you could argue, you know, because we've lost these community connections, this sense that your community will will kind of provide a safety net if you need it. Um, so you could argue that because of that, you know, we, we kind of all have this sense that if we need something, then we need to provide it for ourselves. You know, we can't look beyond our own household to to support us if we need it, which is kind of quite a sad indictment, really, of our, our 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 lives and our communities but actually that's not the case you know people do want to support each other people do want to help each other out and you see those kinds of wonderful flashes of humanity around you all the time Um, and that really is really is evident for all of us Um, and so you know what we're trying to tackle as Benthic Cymru is really kind of understand why we have um, kind of developed the sense of everybody needs to own one of everything um, and kind of challenge that, but in a in a really gentle way, you know, does every household need one of something that you're going to use maybe once or twice a year? Probably not. You know, if you think about the amount of um, raw material and resource that goes into creating a, a kind of household item that's used, and, you know, some of the research suggests that some household items are used kind of less than twice a year. 80% actually of household items are apparently used less than once a month. So we, and we can probably all think about the kinds of things that fall into those categories within our own homes kind of shoved in the back of a kitchen cupboard or a shed or an attic or something like that you think about those kinds of items and the amount of raw material that's gone into producing the plastic and the metal and manufacturing and shipping that item so that you can have it in the back of your cupboard on the off chance you might need to use it once a year um, that just seems really disproportionate but this is where we are you know and kind of no blame we are all in a very similar position we all kind of get that same buzz from getting a delivery from amazon or our or whatever it is you know but you know maybe there's a better way to do things and so at Benthic Cymru the way we see the the kind of circular economy and our role in it is to think maybe there's enough stuff in circulation now maybe to sustain all of our kind of DIY and gardening and household kind of activities maybe there's enough stuff what we need to do is maximize the use of those resources that already exist within our own streets you know if you were to go into the sheds and the attics and the kitchen cupboards along your street there's probably enough stuff to keep everyone going for quite a while so maybe instead of buying new stuff we can all find a way to share that stuff and keep it in circulation keeping resources in use keeping them out of landfill and trying to ensure that those things are available and accessible for everybody who needs them not just for the environment but also because there's massive inequality in our societies you know you live in a community where you might have people on your street who can easily afford to pop out to Argos and buy something when they need it when they need it and other people who perhaps aren't in that position and so how do we kind of understand that and how do we support people who may not have the same opportunities um, by making those resources available so yeah I think there's very much something around kind of making sure that we're using resources that have already kind of drained um, you know resources from the earth using items that have already been manufactured and shipped and and uh, and kind of maintained but also how do we support each other as a community to make sure that what already exists within our towns and our streets is actually made available to everybody so we all have a kind of equal stab at a good uh, good quality of life. Barry was there anything else you wanted to add there? Yes uh, in you know sh- short definition it's uh, moving away from the take make waste um, as, as Avion and Ella have pointed out the term circular economy uh, tries to close that linear assumption 
of take, you know, taking resources from the planet, making something from them, then just discarding uh, and moving into a system where we do reduce and then reuse. And if we absolutely have to, then, then try to recycle. But in a nutshell, a good product designer who's of a circular disposition would suggest that waste is just poor design. Um, the planet and, and everything that lived, lives on it apart from us uh, only use what they need and then that tends to be reused or, or, or recycled naturally. So we've, we've seen the Welsh Government Circular Economy Strategy that came out earlier this year. Where would you say that Wales is in relation to other countries in this, this approach, Ella? Um, I think, and you know, I say this without uh, without too much bias. I think Wales is actually performing really, really well. I mean, certainly when you look at the empirical evidence in terms of its kind of place in the in the world rankings for recycling, it's doing really well. Um, but also when you look at a more kind of subjective level, I suppose in the way that Welsh government engages with um, third sector organisations, in the way that those conversations happen. And the support that's available for, you know, organisations who are trying to make these kinds of things happen. I think uh, Wales is really kind of blazing a trail in terms of what government support can look like here. And I think that's really, really vital. I think there's a huge amount that other governments could could learn from Wales, really, um, because this really is the issue of a generation. This is make or break time, really, isn't it, for us in terms of our future as, uh, you know, the human race. We need to take this seriously. You know, it's not a political issue. It's a survival issue. So do do we uh, kind of say now this is enough now that, you know, this kind of consumerism needs to stop now, this consumption stops now, and we need to find a different way of doing things. And I think a lot of people are starting to realise that that really is the, the reality that we're looking at now. I certainly think that the Welsh government is... Um, is really leading the way in terms of how governments can really grapple with that and really try and understand what that reality looks like and what changes need to happen. Not many governments, you know, in, in the you know world these days want to want to kind of overly regulate or kind of dictate what, what people should or shouldn't be doing. You know, that's kind of frowned upon, understandably. Um, and, and, you know, governments need to be very careful about what they do. But I think, you know, that there's such a massive groundswell here of evidence and of will to want to change the way that we do things. And I think Welsh government is actually quite open to understanding what those issues are and how they can kind of support behavioural change. I mean, certainly from our point of view, I think, you know, there is things that consumer behavioural change about this, this sense of like this need to consume and purchase and own things is, is something that we're all going to have to like look at individual change. We know that that kind of behavioural change only happens with massive kind of support, not necessarily prescribing or proscribing from um, governments, but some kind of support when you look at behavioural change like seatbelts or smoking or alcohol consumption. Those are all things that need quite significant support to, to kind of nudge behavioural change in a different direction. And I think, you know, what we're seeing in Wales is kind of quite supportive of that level of change. Gary, what's your view on how the Welsh Government are dealing with this? They're doing relatively well, as their recent strategy document was termed, Beyond Recycling. I think there's a clue in that. They reached their target of recycling 65% of domestic waste. That's at one end of the challenge. Most academics would suggest that's the easy end of the challenge, recycling more of the stuff that you 
create as waste. The challenge is to change the way that the economy operates. So you move uh, towards not creating any waste. So that the first stage really is, is being regenerative, although the hardest stage to get to, being regenerative in, in your approach. So shifting to renewable energies, shifting to renewable materials, good examples in housing of, of using uh, managed uh, forests for timber frame housing. So they need to, and they recognize they need to move beyond managing and, and recycling materials to moving towards a much more circular approach. And the biggest challenge there is, is obviously the amount of carbon we create through our energy production. They've recognized that, they've outlined how they're gonna to try to move to a more regenerative approach in terms of the economy, but also in terms of production of, of goods and services. Where could the Welsh Government do better? We were part of the Community Recycling Network where were the instigators, designers, uh, piloters, if you like, of uh, the curbside system that's now been adopted as the Welsh Blueprint. Um, so we'd taken an interest in that over the years and spotted when the figures came out uh, comparatively with other countries that we were third in the world, second in Europe and first in the UK. And um, knocked on the Welsh Government's door and said, you really should be um, shouting this from the rooftops. Um, okay, we'll go and get. We'll, we'll go and ask some other people to just to double check the figures. And yeah, came to the same conclusion. And ever since that day, it's been one of the mantras and one of the uh, proud things that uh, Welsh ministers have uh, referred to in the whole devolution context to a certain extent. Now, the zero waste strategy um, was uh, was co-written uh, and, and launched in a early two thousands conference that we'd arranged that the Community Recycling Network uh, arranged in the Bulkley Arms in. Anglesey many years ago and we can get up to 70, 78, 80% very easily. We did that 10 years ago in trials in St Albans and Port Skewart in Monmouthshire by utilising a sort of full-hearted approach looking at the batteries, the nappies and, um, and doing the hand-holding with, uh, with, with, with people in their own communities. But beyond that we need to look at commercial recycling rates as well. Yes, we should be shouting from the rooftops um, that we've got to third global recycler in the world. We wouldn't have uh, knocked on the door and pointed that, pointed that out if we didn't believe that. However, we can't rest on our laurels that that is good enough. We've got, we've, we've got to say, look, hey, that's 45% that's being landfilled and incinerated, and we've still got the commercial stuff. I think where we can do better is, is, is appreciating that a lot of these uh, initiatives over the years have come ground up. Al is a case in point with, uh, with, with library things, a phenomenal success along with uh, repair cafes. And community fridges. Community fridges have taken everybody by surprise this summer where Wales only had a handful of them and now there's 20, 30 building up. I've been told of another seven that are gonna be added onto the list today. And another 50 communities in the pipeline wanting community fridges. So, yes, I think um, I, I, I agree with all that I said about the, the Welsh Government getting behind things, uh, but it is and always will be a partnership between that kind of uh, that energy, that raw energy that happens uh, at the community level, backed up by a lot of the work that people like Gary do in, in, in academia and giving that opportunity to businesses to, to look deeper and to de delve deep into new structures and communities who have support systems in Wales that are the envy of other countries.
I wouldn't mind putting to you, Gary, what we've talked about is very much on the recycling side of things. And when I was researching, there was some interesting stuff about from the World Economic Forum. And one of the quotes that stood out for me was, in a properly built circular economy, one should rather focus on avoiding the recycling stage at all costs. It may sound straightforward, but preventing waste from being created in the first place is the only realistic strategy. Do you, do you think that's right? And and if so, is you know the very high successful recycling stats we hear from Wales is that actually a problem? It's absolutely correct. Waste is just poor design. You know, there's some good examples in Wales. Uh, people like Paint Three Hundred and Sixty are, are recycling paint, and and you can reuse that paint. Orange Box in uh, up in up in Pontypridd. They've designed and built a chair that can be remanufactured. So you, you remove as much waste as possible if it's designed in a, in a way where all of the parts can be replaced. Take, I suppose, bicycle design in, in, the, uh, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and to some extent, some of them still to this day, all of those parts can be uh, refurbished or replaced. So, you know, you, you kind of largely continue to use the same uh, piece of equipment. Yeah, you can design and deliver services. And I think this is the key for us to change the paradigm, change the way that people think and therefore design goods and services so that they don't, ha- don't actually have uh, any waste. So to, get, to give an example of what, one area that um, you know, some of our housing associations are looking at is uh, using sheep's wool as insulation. It's, it's a... It's a product that doesn't have or has very little economic value anymore. Um, and largely it's used for, uh, for bedding or it's, or it's discarded in some way or incinerated. So that can be used as an alternative to a very energy intensive uh, process like making rock wool. So you use that product for insulation, which obviously then it, it provides a function and, and, and there's value in that rather than creating carbon, carbon footprint, from the production of a material like rock wool, which is not, a good, not at all good for the environment. So that's the key, is moving to design of goods and services that embed circularity within them so that we remove waste or we design waste out, actually, and use renewables to create any uh, manufacturing or, or goods and services that we do have to create. Yeah, so I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I think everything, I agree with everything you're saying, Gary, I just, there's such a seismic shift that needs to happen here. So like kind of at government level, at industry level and individual level. So a lot of what kind of you're touching on in terms of like energy supply and renewables, of course, there needs to be a kind of shift there in the way that we do things, you know, at that kind of high government industry level. But there's also a lot that we're seeing, you know, Benthic Camry, Repair Cafe Wales, a lot of what we're seeing is kind of um, really trying to understand individual um, behaviour and the way that we have all become wired, um, you know, to to kind of expect and to um, to kind of feel that sense of um, aspiration, I suppose, of like, you know, what, what success looks like. Success for most of us somehow under the surface looks like being able to buy stuff. It's really interesting to think about how we can have a kind of social conversation about that without 
apportioning blame to anyone without you know kind of accusing anyone of intentionally just trying to destroy the planet you know how can we all think more consciously about what we're consuming um and kind of challenge those expectations and then there's also that kind of bigger question on what we as individuals can do that can affect change at industry and, and government level and you know i know there's lots of different kind of schools of thought and again we've seen you can draw parallels with you know whether it's like public health issues or you know health and safety um you know you can look at how these things have happened before where there's just been this kind of coming together of individuals and industry and government of saying actually there's something going on here that we are collectively unhappy with and we collectively need to address this in a way like that can feel a bit overwhelming if you look at that big picture but also um i think you know it's really um encouraging that we as individuals and organizations at grassroots level and in academia and industry and government are all looking at this actually you know as collectively as we possibly can to think actually there's you know there is an opportunity here for us to do things differently there's a collective will um, we know how to do this and maybe it's going to be a journey and I think for us as a, a you know kind of third sector organization in the circular economy space um, there's a sense of feeling like we think we know what the answer is but we just kind of need to take people with us um, and there's a lot there around what you know what we need to do you know is there something around manufacturing stuff that we need in order for it to be repairable for it to last longer for it to be actually robust enough to um, to be used once a week by different members of the community rather than something that assumes it's going to be left in a cupboard for 20 years and used a handful of times um, so there's so much in there and like the more I talk about it the more I think about it uh, the more I think I just don't know what the answer is but at the same time I'm kind of encouraged that we're all doing these kind of little bits of action to kind of nudge us in that direction and um and it's it's sort of you know quite encouraging that at least we're having this conversation and we are headed somewhere different but certainly i think there's a growing consensus that the way we live now on that individual industry and government level it's just not sustainable something's got to change but it's not down to any one of those groups it's down to all of us kind of pushing things in a different direction yeah, absolutely. I'd agree, you know, both macro and micro level and every level in between. Whilst I agree with you, absolutely, Ella, we, we've, we do uh, need to understand and, and individually move towards it. I think the message needs to be a, a bit clearer and a bit louder from government. Legislation needs to follow it. You know, we, we do have extended producer responsibility legislation coming in, which will uh, encourage manufacturers to... Uh, to look at what they wrap their products in. But then again, you know, is that going far enough? Are they being encouraged to understand what they're making their product out of? And could that also be looked at in terms of a tax type of mechanism? So they do have both carrot and, and stick really, because I'm not sure we're gonna move there quick enough by just encouraging people through messaging to change some of their habits. There must be some concern about the way we transition between where we are now and where we need to be and, and the human impact of that. No nudge theories out there that suggest you, you can change people's behaviour little and, and often. Uh, I'm not convinced that we're going to move as quick as we need to to meet the current 2030 or 2050 targets, let alone uh, get anywhere close to where we, we should be. 
the fact that people think, well, plastic's bad now, so we can use something different that has an, uh, can create an equal amount of um, carbon when it's manufactured. The fact that it lasts longer is great. Although I think we're missing the point a bit. We're not getting people to understand that we need to manufacture far less stuff. We need to use far less stuff. You know, moving from Glastonbury, amazing, highlighted the plastic issue, provided people with cans. Now, obviously, you need something to drink out of, but the next stage is a glass or a reusable aluminium that they could have used the entire time that, that they were there. So, as I say, I, I think we're missing a bit of the, the comms in what we're doing. And actually, if you gave everyone at Glastonbury a, uh, an aluminium beaker, for argument's sake, they could use that repeatedly. I know there's, there's some, um, some washing, some hygiene issues, but at least then people start to understand, not thinking, well, actually, uh, plastic is bad. This material is slightly better. Well, this material is better. They, they don't quite fully understand. We need to use and manufacture an awful lot less stuff. We know what the issues are now. I think all three of you have explained a lot of that really, really well. And we need to really look at what government can do. Ella's mentioned nudge. Gary's mentioned legislation. Like, does the government have to step in and and lead with incentives and uh, you know the carrot and sticks to get society moving faster in this area? Yeah, I would only say that we need that that we that we are going to get part of the way there by reducing by looking at that waste hierarchy by doing those fundamentals of, of, of reducing through redesign but we're also going to get there through carrot and the carrot that's helped for the people in Wales has been a simple ju- just taking curbside recycling as an example the carrot has been a simple system there were fears in the ta- in the you know in, in in the tabloids about rats and things and that that went people where, where curbside is rolled out stop talking about rats and what and what the uh, and what the broadsheets say basically 24 hours into a system and what that teaches us is that our ability as humans to transcend to to a new order we shouldn't underestimate ourselves we can do this relatively quickly is is our society really in a in a place now where we are all too individualistic to consumerist not communitarian enough to knock on our neighbor's door and see if they need anything for things like the circular economy to work without severe input and regulation from the government i'd suggest the government does need to start to legislate i'd argue that uh, left alone businesses will not introduce change at the speed at which we need um a couple of examples, you take smoking, you, you take alcohol, that has been increasingly taxed. Uh, people got to understand that smoking was really bad for you. Uh, once both the tax on tobacco products increased, once um, advertising tobacco products was banned, and once a public messaging campaign really hammered that home. And I would argue that... Uh, the externality, which is climate damage, in other words, the manufacturing of various products that are carbon intensive and that can and are often thrown away. A good example, a uh, plastic milk bottle that gets burnt, whereas a real 
glass milk bottle could be reused and we used to do that. The, the cost is borne at the moment by the environment. Now, if we are responsible, I would argue we have to tax those businesses or those organizations that are using or damaging the environment the most. So why would you, for argument's sake, allow people to think that we're doing a great job by recycling our two four litre bottles of plastic milk, which then goes, gets taken down the road, sorted and then burned. Carbon used in its production and then it's burned and you put more carbon into the atmosphere. Whereas we've got a glass milk bottle. We used to wash them, put them on a doorstep, get them taken away and they'd be reused a couple of hundred times. Now, at the moment, your milkman or the glass bottle cannot compete with the plastic bottle because of the pricing. Now, for me, you have to internalize that externality, which is the damage to the environment that some producers are causing. So therefore, you have to add a tax that helps people understand, as they do with smoking and alcohol, that there's a tax on it because there is a harm to the public. Now, for me, if you harm the environment, it should be taxed. We have to stop thinking that it's okay to pollute rivers. Yeah. It's okay to burn stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is so interesting because I really kind of, I'm, I'm trying to like join up everything we've talked about and it, it does all join up it, to my mind. So like when you think about tobacco and alcohol, for example, the minute everything around tobacco changed, there was a massive kind of, you know, movement, a kind of groundswell of evidence and, and legislative and social policy changes around tobacco. And the thing that really made the difference was evidence which clearly demonstrated beyond any doubt that there was no safe way to smoke. And that was the point at which it became legislatively indefensible to allow people to do this without serious kind of barriers kind of put up for them. That was the point where legislation kicked in, basically. With alcohol, you've never got to that point. It's kind of arguably getting there, but um, the evidence has never conclusively shown that there is no safe way to drink alcohol. And so there is a huge amount of evidence around harmful levels of drinking and the point at which it becomes harmful then has ongoing consequences. And unfortunately, the world we live in, those consequences are measured in monetary terms. So the, the point at which harmful drinking then has an impact on public health services, on social care, on uh, you know domestic violence, that's, that's how we measure things and that's how we decide that something is harmful. And it has never up until this point being demonstrated that alcohol has got to the point where there is no safe way, way to drink and therefore it needs to it reaches that same legislative you know ceiling that that tobacco reached now whether we are there yet with a milk bottle i mean i would argue that perhaps we are for the reasons that you've explained you know there is no safe way to manufacture and recycle or dispose of a plastic milk bottle. Maybe we should be there. Maybe as a society, we should be placing more pressure on legislators to say, we don't want this anymore. But then going back to the earlier point about um, kind of inequalities, we can all sit here and say, this is the way we should be doing things. For a lot of people, having a milk delivery with glass milk bottles is just economically unviable. It's so much cheaper to go out and buy a six litre plastic bottle um, from your local supermarket when you need it than it is to get you know the glass bottles which are massively more expensive and then you come back to looking at the reason why milk is so expensive 
you know, we know that supermarkets, milk is a massive loss leader for supermarkets. Um, the reason they do that is to get people in through the doors. And then you come back to the kind of local economy and what are we doing to our farmers and how are we kind of supporting that local economy versus how cheap do we want our milk or our carrots or our bread or whatever. There's so many influences there around what we need to do and the kind of holistic view we need to take here. The final point I wanted to make about this is um, what we're saying about that kind of carrot and stick. Realistically, you know, we we know from the previous examples we've talked about that very often, and obviously in Wales, it is slightly different from kind of UK and Westminster, but most of the time, the last resort of a government will be to legislate, you know, for all kinds of reasons that is probably a whole other podcast in its own right. Governments really don't want to legislate. Um, and so there needs to be a kind of social pressure. And how do we how do we get to that point when we know that we're conditioned? We all know, probably all of us use Amazon and know that we shouldn't and kind of make excuses like oh well you know just this week I can't get this thing and so I'm just going to do this if we're doing that what's everyone else doing you know so that kind of whole carrot and stick thing how do we make that behavior change look attractive how do we incentivize that behavior change and how do we make that behavior change accessible genuinely accessible to everybody people who are working two or three jobs and trying to pay the rent and put food on the tables how do we make that kind of behavioral change genuinely accessible and tangible and reachable for people across the board it's a huge challenge but I think you know the fact we're having these conversations is really positive but it's like we we need to get there accepting all these challenges and I think you know that's what organizations like mine avions and everything that Gary's doing it's about kind of trying to identify okay here's one thing I can change here's one thing that we can do differently and let's try and do it let's see what happens let's see what success we have with this and that is one step in the right direction um, but there is a lot to do but I also think we need to really temper our expectations in terms of what government is going to do I think a lot of it is down to activism and that's where um, just finally I know I said finally already Matthew just wanted to come back to your point about individualism what we see at Benthic Cymru and I know what Repair Cafe Wales see as well is that people really want that community back they really want that sense of community people miss it whatever's been stripped away in the last 30 40 years more decades than I care to uh, admit is something that people want you know and and mm. people are looking for that in all kinds of different ways and we've seen that in the last 18 months haven't we more than anything yeah. in my own community the day the first lockdown was announced there was like a Facebook group and a WhatsApp group of like what can I do who needs shopping who is who's housebound who you know and this like massive community of people wanting to help each other and that's what keeps us going day to day at Benthic Cymru is this sense of like people genuinely want to help each other there is that real sense there of like what can I do what's the tangible action I can take now that will make life better for the people in my community and you know people one of the things people often say to us is like oh don't people nick stuff you know because we're lending things out to people which sometimes are high value and you know people say to us oh you know don't people just take it and never come back and we're like, well, no they don't you know let's operate from a place of trust and you know, assuming that everyone wants the best for each other. And actually people don't come into this thinking I'm going to nick a pressure washer. They come into it thinking, what a lovely community resource. I can borrow a pressure washer and then I don't have to store it. I can give it back and somebody else can borrow it. Everybody loves that idea. So I, I you know, I think hope is not lost for humanity. <laughs> I think it's still there very much on the surface, not even under it. And we all want to do the right thing. And I think with the kind of you know supportive nudges that we can all give each other I think we can get there there's such an optimistic answer I feel so bad that I'm now going to put my uh 
Scrooge hat on. You know, recently, Julie James said that in order to tackle climate change, we shouldn't expect people to make sacrifices. We've got Christmas just around the corner. We've already talked about the issues that consumerism and consumption are having on our environment. In order to make a real change, do we need to see the end of Christmas as we know it, Gary? <laughs> In my house, that's already happened. <laughs> it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? We do absolutely need to move away from uh, the consumerist society that we currently have. For me, one way, and I know I'm, uh, as a reformed economist, I would say this, I think you need to introduce a level of taxation that does acknowledge the impact some goods, some uh, materials have on the environment. The plastic milk bottle is so cheap because we're not accounting for the impact that it has on the environment. And that's why we're, we, we are where we are. We've been just polluting the environment for the best part of 100 years. And can, so, can, can unless... I jump in? I, I just want I don't like to bring my own kind of stories into the pod, but I need one of you to mention the single use carrier bag charge simply because it's when I delivered and you, you know it's a great example on the environmental cost. I've got to get it in there before the pod ends. I think I'd suggest you illustrating my point. When you tell people there's an economic value to something, they then realize or they start to understand or help themselves and others understand why that's been done. And it was to point out it is an entire waste. So once you put an economic value on it, it does nudge people to look at what the drivers are of that particular legislation. We do need taxation. You don't have to add an awful lot. But if you are going to recognize the impact that plastic is having on the environment, you need to tax it. Avion? So I, I don't think we're going to lose our sense of Christmas by moving to a circular economy because I see the circular economy as one where community is rejuvenated. So Christmas will be strengthened with a circular economy. And then Christmas is also, what is Christmas without an abundance of food? Well, if we can redesign the whole food distributive system and producing wholesome food that is good for human beings to eat, that isn't reliant on the petrochemical industry, that where we get the nutritions in a carrot, in a potato that is comparable to levels of nutrition uh, that, that you would find in those root vegetables back in the 1940s before they were tampered with. If we can do all of that at a local level, we will have um, not just an abundance of, of food more locally, but an appreciation of food and less of it being wasted. Yeah, a circular economy will be really good for, for the Christmas lunch. And then as well, all the wrapping. It is depressing, as, as, as Gary's pointing out there. It's going to be under the sofa. It is going to be incinerated. It's going to be probably, somebody's probably going to greenwash the whole thing and tell you, oh, well, it's, uh, it's, we're making some fuel from it now. We're green. And, and, and what, 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 so you're going to delay the process of burning the plastic by turning it into some kind of oil and then shoving it in your car. And, and burning some 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 finite material. All right. Well, I think I think we're starting to see through these the, the these messages that some of these huge corporates are using to cling on. Christmas time, instead of seeing all you know being up to our neck in in plastics, if we can change structures more locally, 
we got somewhere to take them and we replicate in Wales as we're, we're intending to, to, to set up three precious plastic units across Wales. There's about 400 of them across uh, the world. And what it is, it's a micro reprocessing unit in the hands of community. So rather than big industrial machines, you pour your plastic bottles into the, into the hopper to get mashed up. The, the, this, the school children could take them there, a pensioners group, you kind of men's sheds group could go along to the precious plastic unit and it would be you'd find in there single phased machinery not you know your three not three phase industrial stuff everything would be safe the grinders that would grind up your plastic would be more than an arm's length down the down the tube so there wouldn't be any accidents and you know it, it is sort of community proofed in that sense and there's there's as i say there's loads of them around the, around the world they work really well if christmas is has one thing at its heart and that's hope and what we have to leave uh, in, in a, instill in our children isn't a sort of finger-wagging lesson that we always say, oh, well, if only we can educate the children to do the good thing, we've got this sorted. No, let, let's, as I say, returning to all the points I made before, give people the systems, give children the opportunity of having uh, all of these component parts of, of a vibrant community uh, circular economy in their localities so that they can go in and they can become the circular economists of the future. They can go into the precious plastic unit and design things to create because you're not going to get rid of plastics. Plastics are here to stay. The problem with plastics is they're in the wrong place. Yeah, I think I think that's all part of the, the picture. But Ella, you know, on that Christmas point, do you think rather than the, the plastic side, do you think it's the approach towards consumption consumerism that we may have to start to consider in the traditional western christmas yeah definitely i mean i think every parent you speak to feels that it's got out of hand this kind of sense of like compulsion and duty of like having to provide a kind of wow moment you know under the tree for your kids to like see a massive pile of presents and it is something that we've all got to kind of grapple with and confront really and think about what that means for us and and what the reality of that is for the environment um and you know i was actually talking to this um talking about this to some colleagues earlier on today and i was saying look i'm as bad as anyone else the top of my wardrobe at this time of year is brown boxes with amazon tape on um and you know i don't want to be the parent that gives my kids a hand whittled spoon for christmas even though that would you know probably kind of align best with my kind of personal values it's, you know it's, and that's if i'm facing that challenge doing what i do you know what's everyone else doing about it um and i do think there's something there around you know children do get it they get it perhaps more than we do they understand that it's a kind of now or never decision that we have to make um but they also you know want to keep up with each other so you know i'm not pretending to have all the answers here but i think there are little things that we can do i think when you have those conversations with your children when you switch from like glittery shiny wrapping paper to brown wrapping paper or reuse paper or bags or whatever I think kids kind of get that you know sometimes maybe it's our expectations that we're placing on them they don't really mind what the wrapping paper looks like there are small things that you can do you know uh, gifts that you've bought kind of secondhand I'm giving my niece for Christmas this year a uh, Fisher Price garage that um, is exactly the same as the one me and my sister used to play with when we were children. And, you know, there's like huge sentimental value in that. I think that is going to get right to 
my sister's heart way more than a brand new toy would do because it's got that sentimental value. I think there are so many ways we can kind of be creative in the way that we do things that children really get. And just like nudging that little bit of change of like, you know, kind of emphasizing that, you know, if you, you know, obviously you want to give your children what they need and emphasizing to them that you give them what they need, but you, you know, you're not going to kind of overdo it and kind of phrasing that in a way they understand in the same way that I refuse to drive my children to school if it's raining because I'm like oh I've bought you a coat (laughs) it's not you know you know it's not good for us to drive that distance to school so we're just going to put our wellies and coats on and it's going to be fine um you know you can have the same conversations about Christmas can't you like everything's going to be fine you'll get exactly what you need you'll have a lovely day it's just not going to be a load of plastic tat or a whittled spoon can't beat a whittle spoon. You know, it is appreciated all three of you coming on. And I know that you're all working on some fantastic things in this area. Um, I, I do things with Repair Cafe Wales, and you've all been very kind to mention that. Would you just like to close the, the programme with um, just telling us a little bit, if we could be quite brief, just on what your kind of areas are, and what you're delivering at the moment? Because I think Wales is doing uh, a lot, and we are leading in certain areas. And I think we do need to shout about that. Um, a lot of the comms you mentioned, Gary. Ella, because I know what you're doing more than most, can you just run us through the Ben Fig Repair Cafe Wales and even the Newport Hub uh, oh. story? I'll try and be as brief as I can. Wave at me if I'm going over time. Um, so I am a co-founder of Benthig Cymru. Benthig is a Welsh word meaning borrow or lend. And if there's one thing you can take away from this discussion, it's the knowledge of a new Welsh word. Congratulations, you've just learned a new word. Um, and we are setting up a network of libraries of things around Wales. So libraries of things are places where you can donate stuff you own but don't need, borrow stuff you need but don't own, and get together to share knowledge and skills with your communities. So we're setting up a network of these libraries of things around Wales. We've worked on 11 new venues over the last 12 months Um, and our vision is um, creating a Wales where people can um, borrow what they need as easily as you would pop out for a loaf of bread and kind of normalizing that behavior as well Um, and we do a lot of work with Repair Cafe Wales obviously there's a huge amount of crossover in our ethos in terms of keeping um, resources in use for as long as possible keeping stuff out of landfill Um, and so we're doing lots of really exciting innovative projects with Repair Cafe Wales including a mobile project in Cardiff where we're doing kind of pop-up repair and reuse events and delivering library of things items to people's doors and um, in Newport we've got this permanent high street space which is Wales's first permanent repair and reuse space we've got a permanent uh, repair cafe in the center of Newport city center um, which also features a library of things Um, and so that's kind of one of the many steps we're taking to try and make it easier for people to borrow and repair than it is to buy new items and throw old stuff away. Avion can you tell us a little bit about your your work? Well in a nutshell we we can create a nirvana in Wales, but if the country next door is going up in flame, that's no good to anybody. So uh, we, we're locally rooted, but internationally connected. Our journey started about 20 years ago when we would hold uh, a prestigious annual conference as close to the centre as possible and push for this thing called zero waste. And what was termed by some a ridiculous notion of uh, or zero waste, but uh, the, the the rest is history in that Wales is now set on, firmly on, on that course. So we feel uh, duty bound now, um, perhaps a bit off radar, but you know, doing a bit of work in the background to follow through 
we we pushed for zero waste so we feel that we 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 we're duty bound to throw that net out across the world and see what works and see what would work for wales gary uh so i run the circular economy innovation communities project which is being delivered by cardiff met university and swansea university and we're creating regional collaborative innovation networks across public and third sector organizations Ella's part of our first one that we started in the kind of capital region. And we're bringing public and third sector organisations together for them to redesign existing processes uh, to remove the carbon footprint from processes. So in other words, uh, they're looking at problems and they're redesigning or creating a solution to an existing problem that has a circular economy impact. And not only... Uh, do those people that participate develop knowledge and skills around innovation and circular economy, but they do solve uh, an existing challenge or problem which reduces carbon impact. I would highly recommend it. I've learned so much from the CAKE programme that I'm the cohort that I'm in with Gary. So I would definitely recommend it to anyone. Thanks, Ella. So I want to just say thank you all so much for coming on the pod to talk to us this evening. If people haven't heard enough already from you about cancelling Christmas, where can they find you on Twitter to talk to you a bit more? Gary? Welsh Cake, I think, is our, our Twitter handle. That's the guys uh, that set that up. I've got a better sense of humour than me. Uh, so it's C-E-I-C as in cake. But uh, actually, our Twitter handle is Welsh Cake. Wonderful. Uh, Avion? Uh, circular communities. Uh, it's, uh, oh, it's no circular Cymru on Twitter. So we're circular communities on all the other social platforms now. Thank you, Evian. And Ella? At Ben Sig, that's spelled B E N T H Y G. Wonderful. Uh, thank you again for coming on. And if you have enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please do not forget to find us on Medium at Here I Book Cymru, on Facebook at Here I Book Cymru, and on Twitter at Here I Book. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.